0: You are listening to an Emanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emanuelcommunity.org. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and lived among us. We have seen His glory, glory in the story of the only Son of God. He is full of grace and truth. This is the beginning, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the baby. Baby? Yes, but also God. In him, the fullness of deity, it dwells in him bodily, over every power and authority, but without tyranny. He didn't think equality with God was something to cling to. A virgin believed and then conceived. She had a son, The chosen one and he relieved the curse of sin that kills us he came to forgive us they called him Emmanuel which means God with us then the magi came stargazing they came with prayer and praising to see him who had always been and always will be perfect God of eternity now veiled in flesh the Godhead we see the baby deity with prayer and praising all men raising worship him God
1: In the early 1990s I was in Israel I was in Jerusalem in the old city, and uh, there is a kind of an arts area, a very artsy area there and i 'm not really very artsy as a person, but I was walking through the area and uh, I saw this painting and for whatever reason, you know you all of us look at different things and are kind of attracted to different kinds of uh, I don't know, images that, that maybe help us think about our faith. Well, I grew up in a very legalistic home and legalistic environment, and I, I walked by this painting, and I saw Moses holding the 10 Commandments, but shaped like a heart. And I thought, wow, that's a novel thought, that God gave that out of love. And then notice down at the right-hand corner, There was a gift box. And the more I looked at this painting, the more I realized, wow. I mean, it changes my whole thinking. I mean, God gave us a gift of the commandments. They weren't a burden. They're a gift, and he gave them out of a heart of love. And there is Moses with his prayer shawl, praying and thanking God for those. And I thought, that changes my whole perspective. I just loved this painting, and over the next few years, I told people about it. In fact, I told my mentor, my accountability partner, about it multiple times. In one year, 1996, in fact, he went to Israel with me, and he says, I want to see the painting. So we went down to the old city, and we walked through, and I came right to the same spot that I've stood many times before, and I said, there it is. And he looked at it, and he goes, wow, I, I like it too. And we talked about it and forgot all about it. Well, I didn't know, but he later went down and bought it for me. And he brought it home and at Christmas that year, he gave me this gift of this painting and I hung it over my fireplace in my office and it is now hung there for 26 years. It is a gift of faith. It is a gift that reminds me of my faith and what my faith should be. And I've looked at it for 26 years. This week, as I was thinking about telling you this story, I just looked around my office. In fact, I'll let you look around my office. So here's where my painting hangs above the fireplace. But then there's stuff on the mantle and stuff on all the shelves. I want you to know almost all of those are gifts, gifts of faith, Gifts that have helped me remember or learn something. And so then you pan to the right in my office, more paintings, gifts again, everything there, a gift, except my family picture. Other than that, behind me, after I did a series on Daniel, a gift of a reminder of what we learned about Daniel. To the, to the next wall, again, on the wall, on the shelf, all gifts they have been gifts of faith that have been given me for over the many years I've been here, and I have so enjoyed them. And you might be thinking right now, he's asking for more gifts. <laughs> and actually, I'm asking the opposite. I'm actually saying, my wall space is full, my, my shelves are full, don't get me any gifts. I'm good. But I want to challenge you today to get one another gifts of faith. I want to challenge you to maybe you have loved ones, maybe who are teetering in their faith or maybe not yet come to faith, or maybe they just are struggling with a certain thing that one gift of faith could really be a blessing to them. Who is that? Today, we come to the second of the gifts that the Magi gave to Jesus. Now, it's really the third. We'll talk about worship in a moment, but the treasures that they opened last week was gold today frankincense and we're learning that that was a gift of faith and I think we can just miss that when we sing the song or when we read the scripture but it's a very important concept and I want you to take your bibles and your sermon notes and let's join together in God's word as we looked at this whole idea of the gift of frankincense which is a gift of faith Now, there are two things we're learning in this series, and I want to remind you of them. Number one, the first Christmas was all about giving. doesn't matter if it was the angels or the shepherds or the wise men or Simeon and Anna or the person who gave their inn or their manger. Everybody was giving, and it was all predicated on one thing, wasn't it? It was only because the Heavenly Father so loved the world that he gave his son and that's Christmas. That's what Christmas is about. He gave his son and so we are to be giving people as well. Secondly, our Christmas can be much more meaningful when we change our focus from receiving to giving. And I'm not saying you shouldn't receive anything. We talked about that last week. It's good to be receivers as well. But if we can change the focus to what is it you wanna give for Christmas instead of what do you want for Christmas? I think it can really help us get the right perspective. Okay, now if you haven't been here the last two weeks or if you maybe have been, but just kind of forgot some of these things, let me bring you up to speed. I'm gonna do this quickly. Number one, we've learned so far that God set the standard for giving. The Bible says he is a giver and he's so good at giving that we should be like him in our giving. Number two, we learned that the Magi visited Jesus sometime after Jesus was born. In fact, Matthew tells us that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem how long after don't know I think I can prove to you as we talked last week more than 40 days after but less than two years so was Jesus a year old 18 months old when they showed up I don't know but we know he was more than 40 and less than two years more than 40 days and less than two years thirdly their first gift to Jesus these wise men uh, was worship they fell on their faces, and in the Greek, proskuneo. Proskuneo means just to fall flat and worship. And I just want to say that to you again. Isn't that odd for a toddler? Can you imagine these three wise men with their very special clothing walking in? There's this little kid kind of running around, and they just fall on their faces and worship. You'd go, Really? Because it seems so unusual to us. And then they gave the three gifts, gold, which is a picture of finances we learned last week, frankincense, which is a faith gift, and next week we'll talk about a future gift. The gift of gold was a gift for a king, but it was also very practical, perfectly timed. I showed you last week that they gave the gift of gold. The next verse, they leave Bethlehem. The very next verse, God says to Joseph, get up, go to Egypt with your family and now they had the resources. They were gonna live in a foreign country for several years, but now they had the resources to be able to live, hopefully comfortably. Number five, this gift of gold is a reminder to all of us that God has blessed us. Most of us here would probably say that we've been blessed way beyond we ever, what we ever dreamed. And God doesn't need our money, we've learned. God can pull coins out of a fish's mouth he owns the cattle in a thousand hills he has all resources but he allows us to participate in giving so that we can become more like him it's our blessing to give and as we've learned you need to give wisely that brings us to frankincense now I realize as soon as I say frankincense most of us have no clue what it is Uh, most of us don't deal with frankincense don't even know what it smells like I'll talk about that in a moment Frankincense is very special to God. Now, maybe at this season of the year, you pull out your favorite Yankee candle or some other form of candle that has a particular fragrance, and you pull that out, and you only like that at Christmas, and when the season started, you opened that up and lit that, and you, you smell, oh, boy, Christmas starts. As soon as I smell that, Christmas has begun. Well, that's God in Frankincense when it comes to worship, when he smells frankincense, it brings him to the concept of worship that we are worshiping him through that aroma. And I want to prove that to you. Now, a couple things. Incense in general, not just frankincense, but incense in general is very important to God. You don't think about God having a nose, do you? Having a sense of smell, but he does and the bible says Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning and then he's got to do it every evening now when it says Aaron it means the priest so Aaron his sons whoever is serving as a priest and he needs to do it for the generations to come in other words you don't stop this did it happen yes for how many generations I don't know for sure but I'll tell you what Right before Jesus was born, just about six months before he was born, there's a man who you know. His name is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. What was he doing? He was at the temple lighting the incense when an angel appeared to him and said, hey, your wife, who is beyond childbearing years, is gonna have a baby. And that's where that happened, at the burning of incense. So God used that moment. Secondly, burning incense in the rising smoke is a picture of the prayers that ascend to the Lord. God gives us a lot of, Word pictures, I like that because I'm a word picture guy, I need those. And so you have in the Old Testament, may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So the idea of that smoke rising and my hands rising, may that be a picture of prayer. Or in the book of the Revelation, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. So the idea of it going up is a picture of your prayers that ascend into heaven. Thirdly, God provided a specific recipe that included pure frankincense to be used in worship. Now, you ever think about how God gives recipes? He does. Here's one. This is the recipe for worship. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, Onika, I practiced this and I still can't do it. Onika and galbanum and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts. Now you mix that recipe together and that is the general recipe for worship. Now, as you're going to see in a moment, other times you use only frankincense, but this is the one big recipe for worship. Now I know probably many of you don't know what frankincense smells smells like. So what we did, we were going to burn frankincense here in the worship center and the FLC, and then we realized some of you probably have problems with fragrances and causing problems for you. And also, we had new carpet put in this week, and all we could smell was carpet paste or glue. So we thought, that's not a good idea. So what we did is back in room 168, so if you're in the worship center or the commons, back in room 168, straight back here, a little bit to the left to the double doors, there is a room where we're burning incense, and it's strong in there. So go in and take a whiff of it. And those of you in the, in the FLC, if you go straight out your back doors and to the right is the, what we call the Matthew room, and we're burning incense in there as well, frankincense. So go in and, and smell it. By the way, when you smell it, no matter what you think, say, I like it. <laughs> because you see, God likes it. And you don't want to not like something God likes, right? So God really likes this, so you wanna like it too. By the way, those of you at home, I think your screen is scratch and sniff. No, no, it's, it's really not. So you'll have to come up with your own incense if you're at home, frankincense. But for the rest of you, please stop and smell it on your way out. Now number four, this mixture of incense is only to be used in the temple for the worship of the Lord. I find this fascinating. Today you can go down to a, a candle store and buy any fragrance you want and take it home and burn it and nobody will say anything. Ah, but in those days, if you went to the incense store and bought frankincense, and then you took it home, your neighbors would come over and say, hey, 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 you can't do this. Let me show you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Holy there means separate or only for the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it to enjoy its fragrance must be cut off from their people. In other words, you're not even part of Judaism if you're burning this frankincense in your home. This is not for you. This is burned at the temple by a priest. Those are the rules. At the temple by a priest. Number five, the use of frankincense for offerings for praise was required because it was a pleasing aroma. And I just simply want to read this to you. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour on it and put frankincense on it. And I'm gonna continue reading and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take it from a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Now, I told you, you don't think about God and and being able to smell, but he does, and this is a pleasing aroma to him. And by the way, to even show you the opposite side of it, What if you bring to the temple your sin offering? You've committed some sin or somebody in your family has and you have to bring a sin offering to the temple and and you kill a lamb or whatever it is. What do you do then? Well, you don't use frankincense because frankincense is for worship only. So he shall put no oil on it and shall put no frankincense on it for it is a sin offering. So frankincense to be burned at the temple by a priest. And then you come to this verse. Now you and I have read it all our lives and don't think a thing about it. But a Jewish person, particularly living in Jesus' day, this would have stopped them. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. Frankincense. Hold it. You don't, you don't give a child frankincense. You can't, Mary and Joseph can't burn it in their house, it's not allowed. Why would you give this child frankincense? Because these wise men knew something that most people didn't know. They understood who he really was. The Magi presented frankincense to Jesus because they believed he was both priest and God. And when I say priest and God, I mean priest and God and king. They, they got it. When coming to the house, they bowed down and worshiped him. Who did they think he was? You only worship a god So they believed he was the right person who could burn incense and he could burn it to himself because he was God. How did these guys know he was God when he was just a little guy toddling around in the house? How did they know that? You know, I find it fascinating that 30-some years later, the disciples would see Jesus do some amazing things and they'd go, who is this? But the Magi, when he was just a toddler, knew exactly who he was. And that's why they gave these gifts. This this gift, this was a gift to express their faith in him. In fact, all of the three gifts were. But this one is a faith gift. Now, I want to show you something here. This is a carol, Christmas carol, that we just sang a moment ago that actually was written 165 years ago this month. 165 years, language changes. Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns. A deity nigh. Now the word owns there is not the way we use owns today. The word is really the word designates or identifies. That's what it would mean today. But the problem is you can't sing it that way. Incense, they designate a deity, you you just can't, it doesn't work, right? So we leave the word owns there, but you've got to understand that when these guys were offering this gift, they were saying there is a deity nearby. That's why we're giving frankincense, prayer and praising all men raising. Worship him God on high. That's what they believed. So is Jesus both priest and God? Is he priest, God, and king? Well, I'm going to show you that because I think it's important to see that and then we'll talk practically. Number one, if you don't know this, I want you to know that we meet Jesus in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, by the way, in multiple ways, and we won't go over that, but in one specific way that I'll talk about now, and that is he is a priest that appears to Abraham whose name is Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek in, he- in Hebrew is very easy. It's two words, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is my king. Zedek is Righteousness. So he is the king of righteousness. Then the king of righteousness, um, the king of righteousness, the king of Salem. Now, some of you might say, well, where's Salem? You know exactly where Salem is. It just has a longer name today. Jerusalem, right? This is Jerusalem. So Melchizedek, the king of Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. How can a king be a priest? The Bible says it should never happen. A king can be a king, but not a priest. And if you're a priest, you can't be a king. It's one or the other. Why? Because it's way too much power. If a man is king over the government, but also priest over the church, way too much power. And so God says a priest will never be a king and a king will never be a priest. By the way, one guy tried it, didn't he? His name was Saul. And King Saul thought that he could go ahead and offer his own sacrifices, so he killed animals and offered sacrifices and God basically said at that moment I'm done with you because no man is allowed to be a king and a priest Psalm 110 tells us more about it the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind you the Messiah are a priest forever in the order of the king of righteousness Melchizedek the book of Hebrews, and Jesus. Now, I added the word Jesus there, but if you look at it, you'll agree with me that the context is correct. Jesus was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He was ordered to be priest and a king. The Old Testament teaches us that someday, when the Messiah arrives, that this Messiah would be the only person who can be both a priest and And a king. And he won't abuse it. He will balance both of those offices. Now, this is an important verse. You want to read it. You want to mark it. This is a powerful verse here. Zechariah 6.12. Actually, it's 6.12 and 13. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. Now, I've told you this before, but when we bought the synagogue next door a few years ago, we named it the branch. Why? Because it's the Old Testament name of the Messiah. And so that's why we call it the branch. His name is the branch and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne. Priest and king? And there will be harmony between the two. In other words, here's the only man in human history who will be able to balance the roles of priest and king at the same time. Who is he? He's the Messiah. He's the branch. The New Testament teaches that Jesus was our perfect and final sacrifice, so he was our priest, and yet he was also our lamb. We'll talk about that more next week. And he offered the perfect sacrifice. It also tells us he's God. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, see, he's a priest, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why? Because he's God. You don't sit it down at the right hand of God unless you're also God. And so he is priest and God. The scriptures are clear that Jesus is fully God, yet he became a man to be our high priest. And this is a verse that you should all know because there's always someone who says, well, I believe Jesus was a good teacher, but I don't know that he was God. Well, then you have to reject scriptures because the Bible says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. He is fully God. And even on the earth, in his flesh, he is fully God. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. He is God. He is king. And of course, he made the sacrifice, so he's also your priest. How did the Magi know this? Well, they were great students of the word, and they understood this before it ever happened. And when they came to worship Jesus, they knew he was priest and king, and God. That's an amazing thought. Now, here's the problem. I can't go and bow literally before a baby who is the Christ child and offer him my gifts. Love to. What an opportunity that was for those wise men, even though they traveled a thousand miles each way to get there. Spent only a few hours, apparently. What a privilege it would be to bow before God in the form of flesh and give him a gift. You and I can't do that. It's not possible. Christ now resides at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So how do I give gifts? Well, you can figure that out, but let me walk you through it. Number one, today we give gifts to a gifts of faith when we give to advance God's kingdom. Anywhere in the world. Do you have a friend or maybe a couple that you know who are serving in another part of the world as missionaries and you are underwriting their ministry you're helping to provide for a ministry for them then you are giving a gift of faith that's an incredible because God's kingdom is advancing if you're giving to your local church and the church is effective that's a biggie but as long as the church is effective then you're giving a gift of faith if you're giving to a para-church organization, a, a, a ministry, let's say in our area, that ministers to high school students or ministers to homeless people. Uh, you are giving a gift of faith, and that's a wonderful way to do that. Paul once would, well, many times talked about when he would travel around, how he would collect these gifts of faith and take them back to people who, who could use them. So if you're giving already, you don't have to change anything you're already giving a gift of faith. But let's break it down to something easier. Giving gifts of faith to others helps them to worship and also to encourage their faith and their trust. I mean, this picture for me and many others in my office have been such a boost and encouragement. It makes my office such a pleasure to sit in and and to study because of these things that help to enhance my faith. These gifts will be Great reminders to people in your family or people you know. Do you know someone who is on the edge of faith? Maybe they're struggling with their faith. Do you know someone who's struggling with a certain aspect of maybe sin and they're really processing it? What if you would give them a gift that would constantly remind them of how they can be more like Christ? What a blessing that could be. By the way, I want you to know your gifts of faith don't really have to cost much or even anything. One of the best gifts Jesus ever gave us was this, wasn't it? And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So Jesus one time said, here's a word picture for you. From now on when you as a people are gathered together as the church and you take a piece of bread and drink a little bit of that juice or wine, I want you to know that this is my body and my blood, and so you do it in remembrance of me. That was a gift to us. And here we are 2,000 years later. Almost every evangelical church does this, sometimes every week, sometimes once a month. But every church does this because it's a gift to us. By the way, there's lots of ways you can give faith gifts. I think about them in the scriptures. I, I think of that little old lady. I don't know if she was that old, but Little lady who walked up behind Jesus and reached down and touched the hem of his garment and instantly she was healed. And Jesus commended her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. And do you realize that everybody in that crowd were like, oh, I wish I'd have touched his garment. You see, when they saw her do that, they were like, wow, that's faith. Or the centurion or Thomas when he said my Lord and my God. Do you realize that all the disciples in the room were like, wow, that's a gift of faith. You know, when you express your faith to someone else, you're boosting them. A few weeks ago, I was in a restaurant. Um, They had to put a couple tables together for a family came in. There were eight of them. It looked like a dad and mom and children and maybe even a couple grandchildren there. They were all sitting around this big table and they were laughing and having a big time and then their food was delivered. And as soon as their food came, the dad reached out with both hands and took the hands of the ones next to him and then right around the table everybody took hands. And he says our father, we thank you. And he said, he did it loud. I pray in restaurants too but I do it soft. But he was loud. By the way, I had no I had no sense that he was trying to make a point or that he was showing off. You could tell this is who he was. And he shared that prayer in faith. And I bowed, I was at the next table, I bowed my head too. I I thought, wow. And it was such a boost to me. I, I mean, it's just a simple prayer to meal, but to see a family do that in public unashamedly is like, yes. And it just increases my faith. You can do those things. You can do actions that just really encourage other people's faith. But let me take it a step further. And that is, there's also things you can purchase. And so at this Christmas season, when you're looking for gifts, I, I know there's trendy gifts and there's gifts that are all over the TV that you know, kids want and so forth. But what if you said, you know what, I'm going to give each person a gift of faith. For someone, it might be a Bible. They need a new Bible or someone a devotional book, or maybe it's some jewelry that, that will have a verse on it or uh, a, a, some kind of reference that would help them or, or a painting like this one or a photo or a poem that you write or whatever. There's so many ways to give gifts of faith. Who in your family, who of your friends could be so blessed if you gave them a gift of faith? I encourage you to do that. Lastly, this is the one time I'm going to tell you, go ahead and buy a gift for yourself. I think sometimes only you know what kind of reminders you need. You haven't shared that with anybody. Many years ago, and you've seen it before but I bought for myself a a grafted in piece and I've worn it ever since as a reminder that I'm part of Christ's kingdom that I'm allowed to be that I'm invited in and it's encouraged me it's something that I want to be reminded of and so if you want to get yourself a gift by the way it's a gift for you so that you can be a gift for him and there might be something for you that maybe is 2023 it's going to be your theme it's going to be who you want to be in 2023 and so you buy yourself something a picture a piece of jewelry whatever that'll remind you of that well that's the hope that's my challenge i'll simply say it this way what gifts of faith will you give this year